Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Not Drinking Poison podcast. My name is Aaron Aiskoff, uh, and I'm here today with my friend Kevin Blackwell. Uh, Kevin is a noted Paris restaurateur who, from 2003 until 2017, ran the renowned natural wine bistro Autour d'Anvers in the 9th arrondissement on Rue de Trevise. And uh, uh, we're here today to talk about uh, Kevin's uh, perspective on uh, natural wine as it uh, evolved in France uh, and Paris throughout the 2000s and 2010s, uh, and also his uh, his perspective as um, an earlier generation of long-term Paris expat. Well, so, nice hello to be here. here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Yeah. Um, so to give to give a little more longer-term background perspective, where are you originally from? California, uh, Silicon Valley, uh, Mountain View, where Google was founded. Pre-Google or post-Google? Um, during Google. During Google. <laughs> um, and when did you come to Paris and uh, what brought you here? Um, wanted to get out of the Silicon Valley and kind of, it was already starting to be like kind of this uh, tech uh, rat race and just wanted to kind of see something else and, uh, you know, Paris seemed like the ideal place. So I... Um, I did a junior abroad and that uh, turned into a two juniors abroad and then went back, finished my diploma and then came again to Paris and uh, just I've been here since uh, 25 years now. Wow. And so in what year did you come here to stay for good? Uh, it must have been like 97, 96. Okay. Uh, and at that time, were you already interested in wine? Were you already working in wine? Um, I, there, there wasn't, um, I, I liked wine, so I, I, um, I drank wine, um, and I started, you know, with a friend of mine, we started realizing that it was, like, different wines that didn't leave you with a hangover, didn't leave you, um, feeling really horrible the next day, and, you know, we figured out it was, like, uh, the sulfur in wines, and then, you know, this was way before people were talking about natural wines, but, uh. And was that already when you were drinking wine in California, or was that... No, that was in France. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the natural wine thing came about in France. I mean, it's a, for me, it's a pure product of France. So. And so at that time, were you, were you talking about Vincent Souffre in, in, already in the 1990s then? Um, at the, yeah, like when, when I got here, um, probably, it was probably around like 97, 98 when we were talking about like uh, wine without sulfur and sulfites. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I, um, I went to, we found a Hobino's, uh, wine bar, uh, Langevin. uh, yeah, and, uh, paid like, at the time, paid like, uh, it was like the nine, ten euros a glass, so it was, it was already euros, but, uh, <laughs> it was just like, Wow, I've never paid that much for a wine. <laughs> for a glass of wine. For a glass of wine. I mean, even that today would be a little bit steep. Yeah, 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 but it was a Robino. Okay, <laughs> so he was good at getting you to pay nine euros. A new facet of Robino for us. <laughs> um, and so, do when you when you moved to Paris, did you uh, were you already planning on opening a restaurant here? Or did you... No, I actually um, I wasn't. A friend of mine had said, you know, um, you're young. Uh, don't, don't open up a restaurant, don't open up a bar while you're young, you can always do that later. And so I actually, uh, you know, I wanted something convivial and I wanted to, um, so I opened up a um, cyber cafe. Mm -hmm. Really? And um, I had like 
almost specialty coffee, which didn't really exist at the mm-hmm. time, but I almost, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, the cyber cafe stopped working after nine eleven, and, um, there were no tourists, uh, the dollar fell out. So, you know, anybody really did the dollar was not coming, uh, to Europe. And so the whole cyber cafe model, like just crashed. And I, um, you know, I had a bunch of friends that were restaurant owners and I was like pretty much into natural wine. And so it was a very, um, natural transition to open up a um a restaurant mm-hmm. but it wasn't the same site i imagine yeah it was it really was yeah, so, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jordan, it used to be a cyber cafe yep yep <laughs> and was that in 2003 no because it, it became a restaurant in 2003 it became a i opened the cyber cafe um i started up the company in 99 okay. and opened up in early 2000 wow so huh. and then you mentioned that you'd uh, you'd already begun to realize which, you know, which wines gave you a hangover, which ones didn't, which ones were easy the next day. Um, like, can you remember specific bottles or specific, uh, the work of specific winemakers that felt like it was, uh, eye opening to you? Uh, um, at the time there was a lot of, um, I mean, I was pretty much uh, directed by people that knew a lot better than I did, you know, but finding those people was a little bit difficult. Um, but you know, there was, um, Jean, Jean Foyard, um, those were like the, he was like the big one that had, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then there was ones that we wouldn't really consider natural right now, but they were much better than the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Way um, ahead of their time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was like, um, really a foyer stands out because he was like, uh, you could find him in a lot of places that didn't really give a hoot about uh, natural wine. Mm-hmm. And then you'd find him in places yeah. that were like really into this new wine mm-hmm. thing. It's funny because it's, it's his, his commercial network in Paris is still kind of the same thing today, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's really been loyal to himself. And, yeah, you know. he's definitely equally represented in the places that concentrate on natural wine <laughs> and the ones that really don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, yeah. I mean, I like, you know, I, I I'll like even in natural wine bars, I'll just drink Foyal because mm-hmm. it's like it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, and. Uh, so to get to now we're now we're we've kind of moved into the Autour d'Anvers era. I know in my own experience, I remember when I when I discovered Autour d'Anvers, it would have been two thousand nine, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, it was because there was a a server at Le Vervolet who I guess I must have asked him for a recommendation for other restaurants mm-hmm. of a similar similar cut from a similar cloth, and he had recommended me. He said wherever he goes on his nights off, it was Autour d'Anvers at the time. He said it was like a Le Vervolet only. Not so touristy, um, and uh, I imagine it was. Well, I remember my, my first, uh, my first time there, and I'm sure it was like this for many other first-time visitors to Autour d'Anvers, but probably the first time they really realized how much tolerance there was for dogs in restaurants uh, <laughs> in Paris, because <laughs> your dog Armel was, uh, was yeah, exactly. basically the metro D. Mm. <laughs> She was. Yeah. She didn't like you. Should bark you out. <laughs> <laughs> the bouncer and the metro yeah. Um And uh, you, you were you were also doing the cooking there as well. Yeah, yeah. And were you a self-taught cook? Self-taught. Yeah, I had a, a lot of um, a lot of help. I had, you know, I had when I opened up, I, I had a lot of friends who were in um, the natural wine world, and you know, so I was I was well guided. Um, you know. Um, I don't know if you remember Luke uh, De Rousseau. Yes. Uh, okay, from yeah. he's in Arles. Or well, he, he wasn't. Was yeah, he just saw yeah. his place in Arles. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, so he was, you know, giving me a lot of pointers, and you know, 
Yeah, no, Kevin, this doesn't taste right. You should add this and that. And then there was Thierry Coué. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, Haked and Pinouche from the Balatin mm -hmm. were giving me uh, pointers all the time. Oh, they, they were. I was open at the time on Monday evenings. Yeah. They were, they were there every Monday night. <laughs> you know, and so, and they'd eat, you know, Pinus would come in the morning yeah. and eat uh, a dish, mm -hmm. and then he'd come in the evening and have the same dish. And I was getting wonderful uh, constructive criticism, and, mm -hmm. you know, but, and, you know, so it was kind of like the, you know, listen to what the customers say and what they think about the food because, uh, you know, so that's, you know, and then, you know, doing like, uh, Ducasse recipes, you know, like simplified versions of it and stuff, mm -hmm. and then, you know, so yeah, self thought, self -taught. yeah. And how would you describe? Was it, well, was in terms of the cuisine overall, it was pretty much improvisation in terms of whatever you felt kind of made sense on the menu at a given time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's well, when you have a restaurant, there's like kind of like, you know, you start off with your main uh, piece of meat dish, and then you know, there's stuff left and you transform it and you're making something so there's like this kind of you know as they say in french uh, roulement. yes exactly so a rotation yeah yeah, yeah rotation. Um, and did you have a lot of restaurant experience in the usa when you uh... um very very little mm. i'd worked um you know you know how coffee's like been they've had specialty coffee in the u.s for like 40 years mm -hmm. um you know so i worked in like coffee shops yeah. and stuff but not um I hadn't really worked in restaurants, but I had worked, you know, when I came, first came to France, I, you know, I worked in a lot of restaurants, so I mm -hmm. saw a lot of what was going on, you know. Yeah. And uh, how would you describe the neighborhood uh, around Rue de Torvis uh, at that time, I imagine? Um, the, the reason I, I set up shop originally there was because the, it was like, it was just kind of a, there was, there were so many offers for, um, uh, commercial space yeah and it was it was really it was kind of a dump mm -hmm. um, you know nobody went there there was not there was not anything going on and you know I, I looked at the um, I wanted when with the cyber cafe I was looking for uh, places where there are a lot of hotels mm -hmm. so tourists True. and in the ninth that's like I think they have the most the highest uh, per capita uh, capita amount of hotels okay so. interesting that's why I chose there, and it was super cheap, super easy to get in, or easier than, you know, doing something in the 5th or 6th. Yeah, of course, yeah. And um, in, uh, the, the area was, uh, it originally started off uh, very Armenian, mm -hmm. and then it became Jewish Ashkenazi, mm -hmm. and then it became uh, Tunisian Sephirat. Okay. And so <laughs> it was still, um, you know, you still had all these, like, kosher uh, restaurants and, you know, butchers. And then, you know, on Friday, uh, an hour before sundown, it was like a, a it ghost was town. dead. Yeah. It was down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then this time, I mean, I guess, because uh, uh, just a few years later, I think, uh, like around the 9th, 10th, around that general area, you'd find a lot of uh, pretty well-known natural wine addresses. You know, I think what, Racine, uh, Pierre Jean Coup opened Racine just a few years later, right? Uh, he opened up in, like, he, uh, actually kind of a bit later, um, like, I think he opened up in 2008. Yeah, okay. So 2009. Yeah, two, 2009, I believe. Um, but I'm not I sure. It might, might, might have been was, seven or eight, I want to say. I want to say he sure. was in the, um, he was in Passage the, de uh, Passage Panorama, de Panorama yeah. which is, mm -hmm. you know, the other side of Grand Boulevard. So in the second. More, more um, yeah, yeah, and, you know. And then Quan Stovino, when, did, when, did, when does that date from? 
I believe they opened in 2010. Okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah I think yeah. around there. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Rings a bell as well. Yeah. And then, of course, and then of course, Routine, you know, Racine, then uh, there was also Jean Coup opened Vivant, and then Vivant oh. uh, became Vivant Cave, Vivant Table, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then, of course, these days, it's like this, you know, there's so many, there's so many ambitious restaurants around the 10th. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's... Uh, but you're, so you were really a precursor to, to, to a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't anything in the no. 9th. I mean, there, when I opened, it was, yeah. I mean, it's literally nothing. I mean, there, when I opened, there were probably, and this is, I mean, this might sound high, but um, there were already, probably in Paris, 40 um, natural wine, only natural wine mm-hmm. restaurants. Um, and so, I mean, it's like two per arrondissement, which is... Of course, not, not distributed in quite the same way. <laughs> right, right. It, like it was 39 on, on Rue Saint-Maur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there were all like, there was a lot of them in the like 19th and 20th, you know, yeah. especially like low rents and mm-hmm. old, uh, you know, kind of bars that were just kind of transformed. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, being a precursor in that nice, uh, nice R&D small neighborhood uh, in terms of representing natural wine uh, in the early and mid 2000s, did you have? Uh, did you get a lot of pushback from clientele unfamiliar with uh, with natural wine? Yeah. Um, what there, were some you, common criticisms of the era? A, a lot of like, um, well, you, you know, because I was like kind of operating on a different business model and not um, the traditional restaurant business model, which I mean, we were kind of like the whole natural wine world was kind of bringing down actually mm-hmm. this whole like you know restaurant brasserie and. Um, you know, it was completely different, and you know the wine bars at the time they were doing um, only uh, saucisson couteau with mm-hmm. uh, you know, which I did a lot of, but, you know, with the better quality. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of um, you know, oh, you're you, that's not how you do it. Um, you know, the um, they would talk in coefficients like a food cost, but um, you know, oh, you need to mark it up more, and you know, no, but this is actually I'm doing. Uh, making enough money you know it's mm-hmm. like you know this this can actually work you yeah. know you just need a little bit of a bigger volume mm-hmm. and um and i wasn't actually doing it for the money so mm-hmm. it's like you know, <laughs> you know you don't make money in owning restaurants if you unless you own a bunch of restaurants and yeah probably in the states <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there was you know there was also the um being a foreigner especially from um you know america where you know there's the french had at the time, and I, I think even today, I've, I've seen it a lot lately too, but um, a lot of prejudices um, against, uh, you know, Americans can't know wine and, you know. Definitely, uh, you know, definitely <laughs> encountered that in my career. I, I, I mean, I've still, I've still, like in 2010, people were coming in and saying, oh, I know a really good uh, producer in Bordeaux, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and, you know, and especially, you also had like, uh, you know, isn't all wine natural? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's always a lot, of, a lot of winces with these conversations. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first got to Paris. This would have, this would have around two thousand ten or something, and a girlfriend at the time took me to a party somewhere in like the ninth someone's apartment, and of course she introduces her American boyfriend, and of course my my French was awful back then, and so, so you know one of the guys you know pulls me aside and he says, "Oh, I hear you like wine. I've got a really great, great piece of advice for you, Côte de Rhone." which <laughs> is it's like uh, plastics you know it's like <laughs> yeah uh so yeah definitely definitely feel you there um and then when when clients at the time when i mean i remember having to deal with this you know even 
back in 2020, you know, working in, uh, in restaurants in Paris, people are invariably going to ask you, what is natural wine? And then how would, how would you, how would you do, respond? Um, you know, the, I mean, it's, I, I think there's still not a good definition yet. I've seen like attempts at it, but, um, you know, the least amount of, uh, chemical intervention as possible. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I think the, um, the big one is, you know, that the grapes, um, you know, can produce their own fermentation, mm-hmm. you know, this is, so they're strong enough, they're of good enough quality that they ferment on their own and they don't need to be assisted. Native yeast, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, I think I've been saying that for quite some time. And mm-hmm. I think that's uh, like... It's a gentle definition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not insisting on, or would you, would, you, would you personally, would you insist on organics and viticulture? N- uh, not certified organics, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it has to be, it has to be a good quality, yeah. you know. And what about what about filtration? Because that's something that comes up now and again in the natural world. That I, I don't um, I'm not I don't have a, a definite uh, you know it, it, it especially it's like a lot of it has to do with like you know my personal taste you know it's like um, you know I am a big believer in taste and I I, I don't want to sound arrogant but I think I've got a, like a highly developed. Uh, palate mm-hmm. and you know nose and it's like uh so it's, it's it has a lot to do with taste you know it's kind of like your whole thing about don't drink poison you know it's like how do you know if something's bad for you you mm-hmm. smell it you taste mm-hmm. it you know you taste a little bit of it and then you you can tell you know mm-hmm. it's, it's it's just the nose knows a physical response <laughs> yeah. yeah um and do you, do you remember the first wine orders you placed when uh, when you opened Otto Rambert? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, with um, it was funny. We were um, on travel. We were uh, under construction, trying to like you know get everything set up. I didn't have any money because of you know cyber cafe. But you needed something to drink. So. Yeah, and so and so I I I figured we'd open up uh, you know in like mid March, and we ended up opening in uh, July or you know end of end of June, and. So I had ordered a bunch of wine with uh, Michel um, Moudrat oh, really? from the Cap de yeah. Solite. And um, we'd ordered a ton of wine, like a big stock, and we ended up drinking it all, like even before <laughs> opening. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that was my first uh, big order. I mean, yeah. I had started to meet like winemakers and, you know, it's like... Uh, yeah. So initially started with ordering from the Cap de Lancelot. Yeah, I, I got a big, uh, you know, because he was he was doing a lot of. Uh, I was friends with a, a woman that had a, um, a pretty nice bar. Um, she opened up a wine bar in Arles later on, mm-hmm. um, but uh, and she was working with Michel, and mm-hmm. you know, so I worked with him. And yeah, then, you know, cool. Yeah, and then I've, I'm, a lot of wine, natural winemakers will readily admit that they're paths to making, you know, beautiful, uh, well-balanced and, uh, you know, reasonably consistent and, uh, you know, natural wines, uh, so it's, has been a path, it's been a journey to get there. And, uh, I think so, sometimes it's interesting to ask people if they have horror stories about, uh, about purchasing natural wine way back when, in this case, not super way back when, only in the early 2000s, yeah. but about some, sometimes of the, the screw-ups, you know, can you, can you think of any specific, uh, any specific screw-ups or things? Uh, lots that were just uh, where the bottles exploded or 
No, um, a friend of mine had done a, a winemaker had made. Um, he'd done like, um, it, but this was like this was like ten years ago. Mm. Or, oh, you know, relatively yeah, <laughs> <laughs> two thousand thirteen. He, he'd done the bag in the box yeah. uh, deal, mm-hmm. and he he did it all with like uh, no sulfur, mm-hmm. and uh, you know with you know obviously the wine cellars in France are like in Paris are no good. I mean, it's like you can't yeah. really keep wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, the, it, the, the bag and boxes, I, I, they were downstairs inflated. and they just inflated and they were like, you know, volleyballs. <laughs> <laughs> and was, they didn't explode though? They didn't explode. Okay. And the, you know, the wine was um, probably not what it should have been, but it was like, it, was, it wasn't yeah. bad. I mean, could've the winemaker was so good. Who knows? It, yeah. it, it, <laughs> uh, Garnier makes great wine. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. He like didn't put any sulfur into mm-hmm. his, uh, yeah, you know, bag of boxes. Yeah, most people tell me you have to have a little bit. You have to have a little bit, I think. Yeah. I wonder what that's related to. Like, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, at the at the time while you were running the restaurant, did you did you were you able to get out to visit a lot of winemakers, visit vineyards, visit? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, obviously not as much as I would have liked, but uh, yeah, we went to. See tons of mm-hmm. winemakers. I mean, no. any any regions uh, that were, were particularly favorite to visit? Um, well, um, Côte de Roussillon, because um, you know I, I knew a lot of winemakers and worked uh, a lot with the guys um, there. Yeah. We went to Auvergnat's uh, place, and he uh, he cooked us a meal and sous uh, pinouche. Yeah. He cooked us a meal and uh, you know sous uh, pain jaune. Nice. Uh, really wow. nice. Yeah. And uh, I do remember when you, when you mentioned the the Le Bon de la Tour, the winemakers from around the Roussillon, that yeah. you would often do a tasting at Autour d'Anvers. They're involving a lot of uh, those characters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What, what was it? A certain time of year? Or was it just once whenever you felt like it? It was. Um, it was uh, in the beginning of November, end of October. So it mm-hmm. was at that time, like yeah. right after the. Um, I always remember, for me it was usually when it, it was during Fashion Week, when I, back when I was oh, working okay. at Comme des Garçons, okay. so yeah. I'd always have to try and find some way to Skype off of whatever was going on that night to, to come to your tasting. <laughs> and, and then there I remember, you know, I think that was the first time I'd met uh, Loïc Roux uh-huh. and Axel Prufer, yeah. and yeah. Uh, Edouard Lafitte, was he there as mm-hmm. well? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. and um, Stéphane uh, Morin, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bruno Duchesne. Yeah, yeah whole, oh, sort yeah, of a, a Roussillon invasion. Bruno, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And Alain Adier. So there's like guys from the Rhone and there was uh, Nicolas Camarons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was definitely that was one of the one of the tastings that I looked forward to the most uh, at the <laughs> time at the time in Paris. And uh let's, to go back to your just your, your overall experience, uh, you know, like uh, being as a as a as an étranger, as a as a foreigner in Paris, um in terms of working in restaurants, were there was there any just habits in terms of uh, French restaurant clients that were difficult to get used to, because of course the, the the whole the whole transaction, the whole like expectation of a clientele in Paris is different than it is in say California or New York. Or... Right, um, but there was like um, you know there was a lot of um, you know my place was really laid back. I mean there was a kind of this like this real laissez faire, yeah, uh, almost confrontationally laid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the, the the idea was like a freedom of uh, you know like thought movement. You know, and also like you know people were talking about wine at the time. You know, whereas now it's like you go to a wine bar and like nobody talks about wine. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll explain to you what you're drinking and they'll give you some spiel and then. Uh, 
Yeah. Now everyone has to act like they already know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean nobody's really. It, it, it seems to me it's like it's like this fleeting interest. It's it's interesting because everybody's doing it, but it's not like a, a passion for many people. Mm -hmm. You know. I guess it's sort of like a. It's sort of a. You know, it, in certain parts, in certain corners, in certain establishments in Paris, natural wine in the, the conversation around natural wine has been a victim of the success of natural wine, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the sense that. It, it, it's great that it's attracting so many more people, but it's also necessarily attracting so many more people who don't give a flying fig about wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, there was a lot of going back to your question. Yeah. No, it was there's a lot of um, I had a lot of um, you know like uh, when we first opened um, uh, Nicolas Camerons, he, he had the Nouvelle Marie at the mm -hmm. time and. Um, he he had a bunch of customers that were um, you know like they came in every single day to his place, and uh, he and Ben sent them over to my place because they lived in the area, mm -hmm. and so they would do these huge uh, you know big tables of like uh, you know they all like educated natural wine yeah, makers because yeah. they were going to Nouvelle Marie all the yeah. time you know so mm -hmm. all the guys from Barclay um, Universal um, uh, Music. Okay. The label, they okay. would, and they would they would all come by, and they were mm -hmm. like, they were kind of uh, party people. So it was <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but so who, really, who, they were, who was living in the tenth? How would they, how would you get clientele sent over from the so sixth the, or fifth hour? So the Bastres Universal yeah. was right across from the Nouvelle Marie, okay. so they'd go to lunch every day there. Oh, and then, and then a couple of the guys like lived like uh, mm -hmm. you know just next to my yeah. restaurant, mm -hmm. so. Nicola and Ben like sent them all over. Perfect. You know? Great. Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of made this, you know, mm -hmm. emulsion or you know, the well, definitely, awesome. and that was one of the one of the greatest kind of assets of the natural wine scene in Paris at that time, and to 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 some extent still today, that this sense of community among establishments mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, go check out this place. They're doing good mm -hmm. food. Go check out this place. They got yeah. some great wines that we don't find everywhere else. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Where were you? Well, back then and today, where were your favorite places to to go on your? Well, today, lots of nights off, but to, uh, yeah. back then, what were your favorite places to go when the restaurant was closed? Uh, the Baratin, yeah. um, the Verbolet, mm -hmm. which was really laid back. Um, mm -hmm. They weren't um, they weren't caught up in their uh, cooking. Which you know, it's it's changed. It's another Verbolet. Yeah, yeah. It's evolved uh, since then. Yeah. Um, uh, Camus, uh, um, Chapeau Melon. You know, like uh, there was uh, Roberta's um, uh, Casa Vigata Leon Fro. That was really oh, that fun. Okay. Uh, Rue Leon Fro. Mm -hmm. It was Camus' uh, girlfriend, okay. and then um, she she was Sicilian and uh, she was eating great food. I completely I mean, missed it, that. It was it was really fun. Except yeah. you know we'd go there on Sunday nights and she'd be just like, oh I'm so tired from my week and uh, I'm clo I got to close and mm -hmm. you know but. Roberto is like 10 o'clock, you know, so she's always <laughs> closing early. Yeah. So, I mean, there were, you know, and then the Van Zang, uh, Luc de Rousseau, and Narl, uh, now, or, or then. Yeah, <laughs> that's where he is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, this, this, and it, it was a real, um, it was kind of like, you know, as my dad put it, it's like, you know, this is like uh, 50s America, you know, it's kind of <laughs> this like, wild uh, world of fun natural wine and stuff it was yeah like, establishments run on a human scale that feel yeah. like they have sufficiently low stakes for people to stay really human yeah close when they want to kind of open when they want to mm. make a reduced menu if they feel like it yeah, yeah. and uh, you know a lot of the um a lot of the people have this kind of like uh you know that everybody should be able to access natural wine so it didn't it wasn't like this like uh 
you know, like glasses of wine was like three euros a glass, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. Yeah. So it's like, you know. Except Shea Robinho. Yeah, except <laughs> Shea Robinho. But he, he, I think he, um, I think he sold his place in like 2002. I mean, mm-hmm. he was like the ultra precursor of uh, natural wines, you know. Well, of, of that kind of, yeah, of that perspective yeah. on natural wines, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was around 2001, because I think 2001 was when, it was when he first began making wine out there in, in, okay. in so Chania, yeah. Chiang, yeah. Mm. Um, I believe. And, uh, but yeah, so when these, um, to, to go back again to the question, I mean, you're, so you're saying generally people kind of knew what they were expecting when they arrived at your place, that yeah. the clientele weren't too uh, chiant, as they say in, in Paris. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a lot of filters set up, you know, like yeah. you were saying, <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, my border collie, uh, yeah. you know. Things were self-selected. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I also had a cat in the restaurant, too, which so yeah. was like, uh, you know, ooh. <laughs> so you, you pretty much like, got rid of uh, people that didn't want to... Yeah, anyone with, yeah <laughs> exactly. Anyone a little too touchy, a little too, yeah. It's true that good, you, good, a good reason to have dogs and cats in the restaurant. Yes. Yeah. And also no mice, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think one other thing that I, that I recall very, very uh, distinctly when I first started going to a tour de Ver is that, like, I, I had a good friend at the time, uh, who's still a good friend, uh, my friend David, who was living right around the corner from uh-huh. your place. And he would come in all the time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would have running jokes. He'd be like, we could never get Kevin to speak English to us. So, <laughs> So did you speak French when you moved to to, to Paris uh, already, or did, did you? Just... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't great, and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's still, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, <laughs> but you, yeah, but we were always impressed because, of course, our French was terrible at the time, and you know, initially you think, oh, uh, here's an anglophone, at least he'll speak to us in English. But Kevin, but you never speak to us in English. <laughs> it was like it was, it was sort of like trying to get an an actor to break character, like. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's, a, um, you know, there was the thing about, there's also like, you know, it's like, you want to, you know, we're in France, it's in Paris, and, you know, I, I, my customers were basically, you know, I didn't have that many tourists, mm-hmm. and, um, that was also why we weren't a tourist, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I was a recent expat at the time, but it was like, you know, you wanted to, um, you know, I know the people, people get put off if, you know, you're speaking in another language that they can't understand. And, you know, obviously English is not, you know, everybody speaks English mm-hmm. now, right? So True, but I, I, I really, I really respect that sensitivity a lot as well. And in, in the sense that I think, you know, anybody in a rest, like in a restaurant, there's particularly if it's like, say the first time there, like it's always this, you really want to sustain and encourage that trust between the guest and the host to the restaurateur, the, the operator. And it's true that if you've got, you know, just a, a random Parisian client who wanders in off the street, who's never been there before, if they go into a place and it's suddenly everyone around them is speaking English, they're going to, you know, even despite themselves, feel like, God, oh, this is not really for me. Right, 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 yeah. Oh. A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forgot my laptop in this cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I, I, I definitely I definitely understand that. And I've, I've become increasingly sensitive to it myself. I mean, these days I find... The times that I feel most comfortable speaking French are actually when I'm in London or New York or something like because, <laughs> you know, do, do you ever get that long-term expat effect of, like, English becomes sort of like a private language and it's not like a public language or to some extent, so you're used to, I guess, you know, you're used to, people, you know, if you're just talking, having a conversation on the street, you're used to the assumption that not everyone around you is understanding what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. Uh, 
but that's of course a very different role to when you're actually running a restaurant and you're necessarily a public persona at that time. Yeah, and also, you know, I had, like, I, I, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that were um, expats, and you know, you know, uh, mother of my children, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like um, the mothers of my children. But um, anyway, the um, you know they were all like living here, and they're all like somewhat implicated in you know and i was like fully implicated in in france you yeah. know so it's like because you had children over here yeah well, they were born here yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but even before that you know it's mm-hmm. like you know it's and then all your like business doings etc are like in french you know every, everything i was doing was in mm-hmm. french you know yeah except for certain customers Except for a couple tables yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and, and also like you know the ninth nobody would come there weren't tourists in the ninth <laughs> you know they, the the people that stayed in the hotels wouldn't come into my restaurant because it seemed like too uh you know would, i was there for the <laughs> tourists for the cyber cafe yeah yeah but then you know the people that the in the hotels wouldn't come to my restaurant because it yeah. seemed too french you know mm-hmm. i didn't have that hard rock cafe thing yeah. about it well, that's why when you said that there, there was like six months of travel i was like Really, that much travel, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like three yeah, or something. Exactly. You know, we, we, we made all our like benches and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. it's like, it's kind of like, it would have been better just yeah. to go flat out buy it. But, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, oh, we'll do it ourselves. Yeah, it was, I mean, for anyone, any, anyone listening who hadn't witnessed Otto d'Anvers, it was very simply but effectively designed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it was, we, everyone would routinely describe it as being homey, being yeah, very, yeah. you know, it really felt like going over to someone's house and someone would have been something together and yeah. uh, really welcoming in that regard as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of people said, uh, you should have called your restaurant, Comme à la maison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, I'd say it's a really high compliment. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, it's a, a lot of, you know, everybody would always say, oh, yes. It's the same recipe as my grandmother used mm-hmm. to do, and you know, for the, yeah. the beef burgundy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And it's also it's a format that you know, as you mentioned, you touched upon earlier. It was uh, it was very influential, and it was sort of tacitly opposed to the grand brasserie culture mm-hmm. of Paris that, that Paris is famous for, where these small natural wine spots, uh, owner operated. Uh, you know, maybe maybe there's a server, but sometimes not. You know, maybe it's just one person. Uh, not super high markups on things, but eating good, correct, honest, you know, dishes prepared simply. Mm. Uh, it's, there's a, a countercultural aspect, like an, uh, an act of protest. In yeah, that well. yeah, it would definitely, there was definitely mm-hmm. this, uh, a certain amount of rebellion to, against, uh, you know, I was sourcing products and, you know, I'd, I'd go to Rangis and, you know, I'd, I'd be picking out like, uh, super products at Rangis and then, you know, sourcing, which was kind of, I couldn't, uh, at the time, I, you know, I looked into it, like, just sourcing everything, but that's, like, it's really, it's, you know, it's a problem with scale, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, when you're a small restaurant. Right. How many it, covers it, was Wotor down there? Uh, 38. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's really, it's more than I was expecting. Even. Oh, yeah. Well, but it was close. Uh, yeah, know, it was, yeah, it was <laughs> close. <laughs> you were packed in tight. Optimizing space. Yeah, you know? yeah, as they do in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, so you were going to Rangis, and then uh, Rangis is the is the central, or not, no longer central, but the, it's now outside of Paris, situated near on the way to Orly, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The and, big, uh, it's the, I mo- think it's the biggest market in Europe. Yeah, actually, food market. Yeah, right. and as I understand, it, mo- much of much of the bounty of France passes through Rangis before then being being dispatched out to uh, back, uh, to, back to where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> Rangis can be a sore point for many people living not living in Paris. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I went. I went once with uh, my friend Jane from uh, Yard back when she had Yard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a that was a very eye opening experience. Oh, sitting there, just, yeah. yeah. Or, or eye closing because you do it so late in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> or early in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And um, and so to talk a little about what's 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 what are your what are your what's been your path a little bit after or since closing Otto Dunbar in two thousand seventeen. Um. I was, um, I'm, you know, I'm really good friends with Olivier from the Constavino mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Guillaume also. But, yes. Um, so I, um, I was working there uh, for two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's, that was really fun. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So stayed in the area for two years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, 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 I wasn't cooking anymore. So that mm-hmm. was like, you know, I, I kind of had a, it's like, I, I wouldn't call it a burnout, but mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it could be a burnout, but, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I was kind of like, uh, kind of fed up with the cooking for people, and you know, so it was, it was really like, uh, you know, there was responsibility, but it was like kind of light responsibility, really light responsibility, yeah. and it was like uh, 45, 50 hours a week instead of uh, mm-hmm. seventy. Yeah, well, it's nice and, to go through pay periods. You like know, that. and then yeah. uh, no, I got all this paperwork to do. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And what are you working on? What are you doing these days? Um, I'm painting a lot. Cool. Yeah. And what, what, like any any particular kind of genres or subjects? Uh, figurative. Yeah. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Doing um, um, tempera uh, painting, so it's uh, pigment, egg, and uh, yeah, and water. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to check those out. So. Yeah. I'm always always on the hunt for more interesting natural wine adjacent uh, artwork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I'm obviously I'd like to be painting more, but um, you know, it's not a it's not a productivity issue so it's uh you know it's kind of like when the passion comes up you know it's like yeah, it's not you can't not a faucet you can turn on yeah it yeah it just kind of like turns yeah. itself on yeah yeah one hopes it's more frequent than <laughs> harvesting wine but yeah no. yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's yeah. not it's not once a year it's yeah. you know but uh yeah that's what, that's what i've been doing mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's a lot like um it, in a lot of ways it's uh, very similar to cooking you know i'll do um i'll do the yeah, so for my boards and you know that you know i'll sand the boards and i'll put the plaster on it mm-hmm. and then you know so there's a lot of you know you have to heat up the plaster at a certain degree you can't do it too much or it'll you know and for the board season mean in terms of what you're painting upon or yeah yeah, yeah. i see mm-hmm. i see yeah. yeah so and i'll stretch my own canvas if yeah. i'm doing it on canvas okay, well. and yeah so. nice yeah yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little up. bit of cooking to it yeah and then i cook at home all the time too yeah so. Not that I have a good kitchen at home, but you know. Well, Paris apartments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And have you ever been, have you ever been tempted to live outside of Paris in France? Or? Um. Yeah. I've. Um, I. You know. I'd like to. I'd actually like to move, but mm-hmm. um, you know. I think uh, we we were talking about moving even before the um, lockdown and all that. The pandemic. And, yeah. Yeah, and um, and then now uh, you know Aurelia's mom, like I was saying, it's not doing so well so mm-hmm. we're kind of like bound to Paris for the time being mm-hmm. so, yeah you know but I, I, w- I wouldn't mind like living in Greece you know? really oh, even leaving France entirely yeah or you know like, yeah. you know setting up something where you could have like a pied-à-terre in, mm-hmm. in Paris or, yeah. yeah just not, not being stuck in Paris is nice yeah yeah and especially it's like uh, I don't know I don't know it's uh, looking for something different but mm-hmm. you know i love paris but yeah it's like uh, 
Well, I love Paris, but you know, so maybe I'm just dreaming about moving somewhere else. And I'll just I just I feel I feel the same. Here. I definitely feel <laughs> the same thing personally. I mean, I would like. I think also, I mean, at least in my experiences, having you know, I've been here fourteen years now, but you get addicted to a sense of constant discovery when you're living someplace where things are kind of a sense of constant discovery, mm-hmm. even just. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not just learning learning the language, but then learning the language of real estate. You know how, how you like how you rent a place, or like, and all these little things that become such a an effort, and you get kind of a little addicted to that effort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then when the second you start to feel a little complacent, you get a little bored. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when things stop becoming so challenging, like mm-hmm. I'd love to go to Italy. You know, like. Yeah, oh, it's it's great. It's, it, it, the problem is, you know, it's like. Paris is pretty bad with like tourists and stuff, but mm-hmm. Italy is just like crazy. You know? Well, like Rome, but if you're not in Rome, I think it probably, it's it's just like if you're if you're in any other part of France, yeah, then, yeah, like yeah. then it's not overrun with tourists. Yeah. You know, only Paris. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, it's like you, yeah. you can't. It's like hard to go to live, live in like the non-tourist areas because you know if you're not Italian in the non-tourist areas, you're not really accepted. Yeah. In the tourist areas, they don't really see you because they think you're a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, to be honest, but at the same time, I mean, like it's not that different to a lot. Well, I mean, France is the lesser version of that, I guess. I mean, like to, to use an example close to home, like uh, my girlfriend, uh, you know, like many French people, she's been encouraged her whole life to, if she ever gets money, to invest it in real estate. Mm-hmm. And so you know she, she yeah exactly <laughs> land so she you know, she got a little vacation home in Brittany and uh, so we were entertaining spending a lot more time in Brittany but like I mean Brittany is seven hours away from most of the winemaking communities where oh. I count many people as friends you know mm-hmm. and uh, in terms of where I'd like to live in France outside of Paris it's definitely not Brittany why would I not want to live amid a, among a winemaking community where I know people right, already uh, who, uh, who have uh, some kind of incentive to make the transitions mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. as nice as possible mm-hmm. i mean like i remember once i was uh i was in the in the beaujolais and i was borrowing my girlfriend's mother's car mm-hmm. and it uh the, the basically the gearbox kind of just gave out mm-hmm. and i was able to just about roll into the 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 um the garage in villiers morgan mm-hmm. the thing was just completely bottom fell out basically and talk to the mechanic and he's like oh man well, I'm not sure if we're going to have that piece in stock. Mike's going to cost you. And I was like, well, what, what choice do I have? So, you know, by chance that afternoon, I was I, I was going to see Mathieu Lapierre about something. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, I mentioned the issue. And uh, he said, oh, which garage? But that's all. He didn't say anything else. Right. The next day, I get a call from the mechanic being like, oh, it's ready. No problem. It did, cost almost nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just because Mathieu Lapierre had kindly given yeah. him a call for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the kind of thing that like really makes you want to live. If you're gonna to choose to move someplace new, I would say anywhere in Europe. It's nice to know the key winemakers in an area. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. for any kind of contractor, any kind of mechanic, or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, well, who knows what the future holds? Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, but to go back to to you, sorry, I, I digressed rather rather largely there, but um. I think also you know, when talking to people like, like yourself who are very you know, experienced in the Paris natural wine scene, the French natural wine scene, who've seen it evolve over a course of 25 years, um, it's interesting to talk about the points where it has diverged and see what your, you know, get your feedback on those. Like, for example, uh, when it comes to the subject of, say, uh, pet nuts, mm-hmm. do you prefer them disgorged or non-disgorged? Uh, it... it... 
I don't, it depends. I mean, it, it it's really good depends. It's good know, to, It's the taste, you know. Yeah. So and it, it can also be the moment. You know, what's exceptional about this wine? And, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I only ask because that's a, that's a, like a, a, a you know like a, an aesthetic point of contention where you've, we've seen a lot of newer natural wine cultures or more recently, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the ones that have flourished more recently in Central Europe, mm-hmm. um, for example, doing a lot more undiscouraged pet nuts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. whereas the ones in the Loire, uh, you know, from the you know early two thousands onwards, mostly disgorged. Okay. 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 Um, or um, let's see, what are the other interesting aesthetic rifts that have? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you like? How are you? I mean, again, we kind of touched upon this before in terms of uh, the it being the you know the palate and one's personal response that really counts to when you know when tasting wine and gaining the experience to have confidence in that. Uh-huh. Um, but in terms of you know what you, what you find yourself drinking, do you, do you tend to prefer things that are lightly sulfited or absolutely nothing? Is it, is it, do you find this a big difference, or does it does it jump out at you these days? Um, no, it's it's. I mean, it's it basically it's like how it's done. Uh, I mean, you know, and a lot of the times I don't actually even know. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if there's if it's there's, nice though, the confidence to not even bother asking the question. If there's well. not even if if you can't yeah. tell if there's sulfites or mm-hmm. not sulfites, there's probably not a lot. So it's. It's true. If you're asking you know, yourself the question, if you can't immediately tell, then it's yeah. true. That, then it, yeah. I mean, this this stuff. I mean, I think the whole there there was a period. It's I I hope it's past, but um, you know, there was that period where um, you know, people were drinking basically vinegar and they were just associating um certain tastes with natural wine, but there mm-hmm. wasn't they weren't looking at the overall perspective. I mean, it's mm-hmm. they were kind of just being a little bit too left brain and dissecting it without actually understanding the you know the right brain whole picture type mm-hmm. thing and yeah. You know, and they're oh vinegar. It tastes like vinegar. Ah, this is clean natural wine. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. You know, so that's you know, and you're not you're not getting a lot of that right now, or at least not where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. There's another one. I had another good question after the sulfate issue. What was that? No, uh, oh, it's gone. Um, and in, in terms of. Uh, where okay? Well, you mentioned where you're going. Where where are you, what are your favorite places to go these days? Um, I like um well, the Quince de Vino. Mm-hmm. Um, I like um, uh, De Saison. I don't know that one. Ah, where's it's, that? It's very. It's kind of like this like hidden little spot. It's mm-hmm. really cool. You know, Rue de Nil, where you all yeah. got all the Terroir d'Avenir, and you got um uh, French Lava Cafe. Yes. Okay. And um, so it's just uh, La Rue Damiette. Okay. It's just this like really small. Uh, uh, it's super good. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, they're not. Um, it, it's strange, but there's there's not this like. You get these like, natural wine people that come and hang out at the bar, and then you know other nights there's like nobody in natural wine like mm-hmm. there, but they're all drinking natural wine. Yeah. You know. And so it's but, a bistro. Or? It's a bistro. Okay. They do. Uh, you know. They 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 do. Um, I mean, very, very limited cooking, but yeah. it, it, you know, it's like the products are good, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they a good selection. Great. And then the other, um, the super, it's right next to where I live, but mm-hmm. the, you know, but it, it's, it's the best, one of the greatest places right now is uh, Curia's Company. Curia's Company. I know of them, yeah, because yeah. they've done some events with some winemakers that I know. Yeah, 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 they're, um, they're, it's super fun. It's, okay, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
It's in the ninth or tenth or It's in the tenth. It's on yeah. the Rue de Richiquier. Okay, curious yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. And they can find they they've got like some really good wines, and then they they do like um they, it's kind of like old school um Verbolet where they reheat in that little toaster oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you went to the Verbolet when I was yes, like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, you know, so they're re- they they're producing their products, and then they're heating it in this like small little toaster mm-hmm. oven and they're coming up with like good stuff and it's like actually like you know they're you know they're at the they're searching for something yeah and, so, and they're cool. finding something good so yeah, yeah and, they, and they have good wines too yeah speaking of which i remember the other question that i wanted to ask okay yeah because it was related to another aesthetic question yeah. related to uh the La Bonne de la Tour and the the group of, yeah. of natural winemakers in the Roussillon is i think at a certain point and maybe this has passed by now, but at a certain point, I, I would hear a lot of people, you know, wine wine professionals, complaining about uh, carbo du sud, you know, complaining about carbonic maceration when practiced in the south of France. Um, mm-hmm. And do you wh- how do you feel about that criticism? I don't necessarily say that I share it, but would you? I mean, how do you feel about that subject? You know, is it is it a is it a valid criticism? All right. Well, I'm not the right person to be talking about it. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I admit my lack of uh, objectivity. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. Yeah. You know, okay. it makes it makes these like normally heavy. You, you know, are like, Mr. Carbo de Soup. Yeah, I, I like it. I like. It. I, I can drink that stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm just like. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend, however, like she gets really tired of it really quick. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like you. Know, so I can understand both um, aspects. Um, I think. No, I, mm-hmm. I I like it. You know, yeah. It's it it makes for a. It, I think it's uh, you know, instead of having like these wines that are just super heavy and you know, you, you can't do anything after you have yeah. a glass or two of wine. You yeah, know, yeah. I, it's I don't, I'm not into that. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think there's a pretty good taste. I think I think um, I think I think some people like it because they have that like uh. Um, carbonated culture, you know, the, the you know the soda, the the mm-hmm. soft drinks. I think some yeah. people like that because they somehow there's like this uh, comfort level, you know, like some of the younger drinkers that have mm-hmm. grew up on like soda. I think they do like carbonic maceration yeah. on soda yeah. and yeah. grape varieties. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, because because yeah. it's kind of like this um, comfort zone where mm-hmm. they. You know, a lot of people, they won't admit it, but a lot of people... Well, you do, I mean, you like do need a lot of CO2 in those wines, because uh, like the worst is like a Carbo du Sud, a southern, southern Carbo, southern yeah. French Carbo, without enough CO2, without enough acidity, because yeah. then you get something that's just really kind of like sweet and lumpen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I'm all for it. But anyway, I think what those guys do, I think they, they know what they're doing. Yeah. I, uh, well, I've often thought that, I mean, it, to me, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a criticism that is it's a sister argument or whatever, you know, to when, when people complain about carbonic maceration in general, I mean, that I feel like it just sort of betrays a, a limited perspective on or a limited awareness of how many different kind of varieties of, of carbonic maceration one can do, what a, what a spectrum carbonic maceration is in terms mm. of all the, these little gestures that can really affect the, the final product mm. within what is generally referred to as carbonic maceration. So you've got people who just complain about carbonic maceration in general, and then you have other people, another subset of Paris wine professionals and wine professionals from abroad as well, who will complain about carbonic maceration in southern France or on on southern French red varieties. Um, and I think both case, in both cases, what people are often actually complaining about, whether they realize it or not, are uh, kind of 
inexpensive rush job carbonic maceration <laughs> you know like like the cheaper bottles that maybe in, in france maybe it's stuff that's like absolutely you know like easy glass pour or like you know bottom shelf caviste kind of selections um those things those kind of things can actually get to be slightly expensive on a restaurant table in manhattan yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. at that point i could see getting annoyed with those they would seem samey because you you're paying 90 bucks a night to, to be drinking these you know for, per bottle for these things uh-huh. and they all seem to taste the same but it's just because they're all inexpensive carbos wines you know like i think inexpensive wines do tend to taste a little bit the same because yeah. it's not the same precision of terroir it's not the same precision of but there's not the same intention on the part of the winemaker either. right right right, yeah. right. And there's also like uh, you know it depends on how much of that uh, carbonated stuff i mean there's like the um you know, it's like if you're used to drinking carbonated stuff, can you get past that, like, carbonation to taste uh, the terroir or taste the grape? But, you know, and I think the more you've had of it, the more you eat. I think you're probably in agreement on that. What do you mean? Car- like, I mean, the, when you say carbonation, you, we don't mean the actual CO2 in the juice. We mean the actual, the carbonic, uh, the intracellular fermentation yeah. of, the, of, the, of the grapes. Because yeah. it's true, it does, it does lead to a different range of flavors. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it's true, it's true, and I, I totally agree with you there, and that, like, people say it makes things taste the same, but it's just, maybe it's, it's like saying everyone wearing sunglasses looks the same, yeah. but, you know, there's many different styles of sunglasses, and there's many different, you know, like, people still don't look the same, you can still yeah. tell your friends when they're wearing We're sunglasses. We're not all Mr. Smith, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, uh, people put uh, sugar in their coffee mm-hmm. or can they actually taste coffee you know mm-hmm. can smokers actually taste something yeah yes yeah, yeah. of course yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a filter yeah. they, they they you know like you, filter you, on a photo aware or of that filter exactly you know, so, yeah. you know and Dominique Doran used the phrase uh, parametrage. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, about, it's about yeah. the one's particular parameters of a palate. Yeah. yeah. And it was Jean Claude Lapalou, he was like, he, he, he straight up said to me once, he's like, I can't taste properly unless I'm smoking. Like, <laughs> which is it? He knew his, he knew his parameters. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. uh, so your, your parameters is Mr. Southern Carbo. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> nice. Well, that's, that's a pretty probably a good time to to wrap up for today. But okay, I, uh, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for for coming out. Well, yeah. This, uh, this psychotherapy session. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I wasn't laying down. That. Yeah. <laughs> Let the record show that he wasn't laying down. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <coughs>